and welcome to the Elevate podcast. I'm your host, Adam Harris, and today I am joined live from the United States of America, uh, a guy that has become a really good friend over the years, someone who has challenged me on many, many occasions, uh, my good friend, uh, a fellow NFL fan, uh, Marshall Krupp. Welcome to the show. Hi, Adam. Nice to be here with you. Right, let's, Thanks. Let's, let's kick off. Um, some people may have described you as being quite abrasive and challenging, but you come at it from, uh, from the heart. Uh, I'd love for you to just explain your, your style and your methodology. Well, well, first I'm a D personality, uh, which means I'm, I'm fairly assertive in my approach. Um, I believe in open, honest, transparent, and vulnerable uh, inter- interpersonal re- relationships, all right? And I think the only way to do that is just to be who I am. And everybody has a different personality. Uh, my personality fits with some, and with others it doesn't fit. But I'm always there to have a dialogue around what's in the highest, best interest of the two parties who are, who are having a communication. And most of the time it's me and someone else. And so I'm always looking at how do we elevate ourselves to be at the higher level so that we can serve each other. And to do that, you got to be open, honest, transparent, and vulnerable. So basically Frank and fearless. Um, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, you've had a really kind of interesting career. As you look back, what's the, what's the one or two highlights for you? I, I, I think one of the highlights is the policy that I put in place when I owned my company for 33 years um, where I said I would never fire anybody. Now, that's kind of impossible to have a business and not fire people because people are, no, are the wrong people in the wrong seats and you have to let them go. Uh, but the approach that I took was rather than me firing them, they would fire themselves. And I would ask them, is this really the place that you need to be? Uh, if it's not, then that's fine. Then make that choice and resign your position and we'll find someone else. And if you need someone else to help you, that's fine. We'll do that. So I think that's one of the one of the things that I've held on to throughout my years, and that's what I bring to my clients today. I think the other event is all of the events that have been failures or challenges, turning those failures and challenges into opportunities. And it took me a long time to be able to take myself out of the challenge or out of the event and look at it as an opportunity. Once I started to think from that mindset, uh, it changed everything. And so now the challenges or opportunities are sometimes more and f- more fun than just the normal course of business. Awesome. I just want to go back to that piece around uh, the right people, right seats about firing. Like, um, or people firing themselves, because that's actually quite a real different concept. Um as you were employing people and onboarding them and then they were within the organization, what, what, may, what difference did that make to the culture of the, of the organization? Well, it brought a high level of, of accountability and a lower level of victimhood. You know, it's, it's real easy to find your, to, for an employee to find himself in a position of being confronted with the consequence of being fired. And the best way to address that is turn that back on the other person 
and say, I'm a victim to your choice. When in reality, it's not the other person that's creating the choice. It's the choice of the individual who failed to meet the expectation of the job. And as soon as people started to realize that it's their choices that they make in their daily routine that lead to failure or success, it's not the result of everyone else around them. It's a result of them and their choices that changes the, the total field by which we operate on. So you're quite an innovator then. I mean, you know, both you and I are EOS implementers and we'll come on to that in a, in a bit. But that kind of methodology that you've just spoken about, you must have been, you know, at, right at the forefront. There can't have been many other people that were, were leading by that example. Well, I, I think it's a learning process. I played the victim so often and I started to say, wait a minute, this is not working. You know, it's it's not about them. It's about me. And what do I take ownership around? And once I started to er- learn that about myself, then it became a tool that I used with others because I saw it so often. It's a regular, regular thing that we see in business. Now, is that innovative? Mm, I don't know. Um, you know, Thomas Edison was an inventor. He tried over and over and over to to do things, and the results were failure. And he learned from his failure, and then he implemented his successes. Uh, I think that's all I've done um, is learn from my failures and turn those into opportunities and then decide how do I now want to show up in terms of myself, my clients, my peers, my colleagues, and so forth and so on. So the aspect of owning your own shit, which is basically what it is about, you know, um, not playing the victim. Can you remember when um, that you kind of had that light bulb moment um, where you had that switch in deciding that actually anything that happened to you, you were going to own and see instead of labeling it as a problem or an issue, you were going to label it as, well, actually, this is something that I need to own. And B, what's the opportunity that's going to come out of the back of it? Yeah, the, I think the the uh, event that changed it was I was 50 years old. So I'm halfway through my life, 50 years old, went to a three-day interpersonal training weekend with men up in the mountains who basically beat me up and challenged me about – my victimhood and how I was showing up and blaming others for it. Um, and I came away after that weekend saying, God, this is a, this is a new way of living. I don't know if I could do this. And then I started living that way and things started changing and the results started to be more positive, more successful, more productive and a lot less stress on me because I was always looking for the reason why things were happening outside of me versus looking at me myself and asking myself, what is it that you're doing that's causing this to happen? So I'm going to ask a question here, and this will be, uh, it might make a lot of sense to me and to you. That weekend wasn't the Mankind Project, was it? Yes. Wow. Okay. So um, I did New Warrior Training Adventure Weekend uh, two and a half years ago. I'm an active member here in the, I've just got goosebumps just as I speak about this because um, you and I now have a further deeper connection than I originally had thought. And you and I were pretty close anyway. Um, 
I, I've here in New Zealand. I'm now on the uh, on the board, and I've uh, staffed every weekend since. Um, I I would love, and we both know that we can't go into a huge amount of detail, but I would love to share for you to share for the, especially for the men that are listening to this, or if there's women that are listening to this for potentially their their partners. What is uh, MKP? Uh, and please just explain in the words that you can. Um, well, first of all, I was with the organization 12 years. I did over 100 staffings. Um, I was on the leadership council here in Southern California, and I was on the international council worldwide. So I know the organization inside and out. It is a experiential weekend where men go to uh, be initiated into the old way of becoming a man or a human being, uh, of, of getting to a place of living out the maturity of who and what we are. Um, and we have bought into stories uh, through culture, through education, through political systems and so forth and so on rather than going to the essence of who we really are and taking ownership for uh, what we create and what we don't create. Um, it is a uh, physical, emotional, psychological opportunity to look inside. And for any women who are having challenges with their significant other, uh, it's a place to send your man uh, to for him to see how he is either creating the challenges that you're facing um, or is, is enabling that to exist by his own actions. Um, it's the greatest three days I've ever been on in my 73 years of life. Um, so well articulated with that explanation. For, for me, um, you know, both you and I are Jewish, so you'll understand this. Uh, I had uh, a bar mitzvah, age 13, that aspect of kind of, you know, coming of age. But whilst it was a, a great experience, it was all a, it was all about the religious scripture. I don't actually remember much uh, context or content around, uh, you know, I'm going to say graduating, but I don't necessarily think that's the right word, of, of, of this transition from being a boy into a man. And actually, one of the things that uh, I I found quite joyful is that th th this experience of actually um, boys becoming men and owning their own shit. That's you know that, that's what I'm saying, not necessarily an MKP saying. I think it's actually vitally important. Um, and uh, you know, it doesn't surprise me that a it was uh, massively influential to to you, but also the impact that you've then had on uh, on other people, which then actually leads us quite nicely into. Uh, the aspect of convening uh, groups together. Um, and because you and I first met uh, through the uh, Vistage organization, how did you become uh, a peer advisor, uh, mastermind coach? What, what was the story for you to kind of get to that point? Well, I had my company for 33 years, uh, retired, wound down the company and said, you know, it's it's time to retire and not do anything. Uh, the unfortunate thing is that's not my personality. Uh, I had to do something. I had to keep busy. Um, I had to keep my mind intellectually working. 
Um, and so I started to look at what are the opportunities out there without any expectation or without any specific intention of what to do based upon what I found. Vistage came to me. They heard about me um, and they invited me to consider becoming a peer executive advisor chair or facilitator or coach within the organization. And I quickly found that that was very similar to what I had been doing in my life for 20, 30, 40 years earlier. I just didn't have a name attached to it, nor had I identified that that's what I was actually doing. And so Vistage was a great place to work with executives who are coming from different uh, cultures, coming from different businesses, coming from different experiences, and, and uh, facilitating a dialogue whereby they all learn from each other in the most effective way, and that is to sit down and be 100% honest, authentic, and open. And that's how the Vistage experience came about with a lot of success with about 250 executives that I um, coached over a seven-year period of time that I was with Vistage. You're, Marshall, for as long as I've known you, you're, you've got this uh, this aura, this energy. Uh, there's a, a Maori word here uh, that uh, that they use called mana. Uh, and it's about kind of uh, holding holding the space. Uh, I For the first time I met you, you've just got this, this energy ab- about you. Are you consciously aware of that or is that just innate and just, you know, just who you are? So when people bring it to my attention, I become aware of it. Um, my personality just is its part of my DNA. Um, I think it comes from the passion of loving what I do. I, I just love life and I love what I do. Um, if I was put into a job experience that I didn't love, I probably wouldn't have this energy. I wouldn't have this charisma. I wouldn't have this um, uh, approach to owning the room, right? Um, I actually think anyone can own the room. They just have to find the room that they want to own. And it's about finding that piece of their life that they totally love, they're totally great at, and they want to be in that place all the time. It's not about the money. Okay, it's not about ego. It's not about notoriety. It's about I just love to be in this space. And when you're in that space, everything you have just comes out. It just becomes part of your reality. And and was that fairly evident for you early on or uh, did it take you some time to kind of navigate through to find inverted commas your room? Well, I'm traditionally a rebel, so. When I stepped into a place any time in my life that didn't fit, I'd, I'd push the limits. I, w- I was willing to step out of the box and challenge my own reality and challenge the reality of people around me. And so I, I, I guess, was it conscious? No, I don't think it was conscious. I think it was just part of my DNA. And the more I did it, the more I showed up that way, the more it became part of me and who I am. And it also enabled me to not have fear around it because if I would have had fear around stepping into that place, I probably would have resisted it and held myself back. 
Mm. So that that's interesting. So there's there's definitely some similarities between you and I. Uh, that that I wouldn't necessarily say it's a fear, but for me, there's sometimes a level of uncomfortableness. But that for me is when I'm right on the edge of my comfort zone and I'm I'm massively challenging uh, myself. You know, within within EOS, we talk about going into the danger zone. I, I constantly need to put myself in the danger zone. Uh, and that's kind of when the kind of adrenaline kind of uh, kicks in. Um, there'll be people that will be listening to this that may well be thinking, oh, I've not quite found my room. How and what would you be recommending to people to to, to help them find the room that they should be in? Well, I think the first thing is you got to look inside. You got you just have to be really honest with yourself. Um, don't let your ego drive your choices. Um, let the, your head, heart, and gut do it. Your head, heart, and gut. There's some intellectual stuff around it. There's some some feeling you have from the standpoint of the interpersonal relationship side of working with people. And then there's this gut, this feeling that just shows up when you just know it. Your, your hair stands on end. Uh, you just feel it all over. Um, and um, you've got to be willing to step out of the box and try things. Um, I, I actually think failure leads to greater success. And so try everything you can because as you try things, you eliminate those things that don't work for you and you embrace those things that you do. Um, the other part you said comfortableness. Um, when I ask people what it means to be comfortable, it's very hard to get an explanation of what that means or how it feels to be uncomfortable. It's very hard to get an explanation of that. So when I hear those words, I say, well, how are you really feeling about this? Um, I, I get that you're uncomfortable, but what's the feelings you're having? And I always share with them these feelings, mad, glad, sad, fear, shame, or guilt. And most of the time when people are uncomfortable, there's a level of fear that is, that is there. Um, and it's, it's the fear that gets in the way of us jumping in to the deep end of the pool, right? The fear that we're going to drown, right? Or the fear that we're not going to live or the fear that we're going to lose relationships or there's fear, fear, fear. And so we're not willing to do it because of the fear, which is all a story. It's, it's all a story that we create in our heads. And once we get through the stories, once we get beyond the stories, um, then that gives us the permission. It really does. We actually get beyond the stories, which gives us permission to then jump in to the deep end. So there's so much gold there. Um, and I feel fortunate that I've had the opportunity to learn uh, a lot of those concepts at quite, quite a, a young age, you know, and I, I learned a lot of it through uh, being a Vistage chair. Um where and how do you feel that that the, those messages are actually taught? Because I never, I never learned any of that at school. Uh, I never really learned any of that within my uh, business career. It wasn't until I kind of I entered this, you know, this space of kind of coaching and consulting. Why are we not talking about it more 
um, in mainstream than we should than, than than is happening at the moment. Good question. Really, really good question. Um, when we are born, we are in the most neutral place than we could than we will ever be in. We know nothing. We we absolutely know nothing. Anything that is about us at birth is internal. It's DNA driven. It's 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 just us, right? Literally, when we come out of the womb, we are starting to be messaged. There are messages that are being conveyed to us day in, day out, hourly, hourly, minute by minute. We are getting these messages and we're taking in these messages and we're getting them from everyone. We're getting them from our parents. We're getting them from our peers. We're getting us from our religious organizations we're affiliated with. We're getting it from the news. Um, we're getting it from everybody, and it's all going into our head, um, and it's sort of rattling around in there. And then all of a sudden, we start experiencing things, and we connect the messages to the experiences, and then all of a sudden, we are now being driven down a particular path that has guardrails that are driven by our experiences and those messages. And we stay within those guardrails. Um, it's those that jump out aside the guardrails that start to realize there's a no, another way of looking at things. We can, we can do this differently and still attain what we want to attain. Uh, some get it earlier. Some get it later. Some get it earlier because they are in a situation that is so devastating, it forces them to look at something differently. Okay? We have a business. We fail in business. Oh, my God. We've bankrupt. We've lost all our employees. We're back in the gutter again. What do we do? And we look at it from a different perspective. Sometimes we're invited to go to a weekend uh, and, and spend three days and be challenged. And, and the light goes on, the light, you know, the light bulb goes on. Um, sometimes we never get it. We die without having gotten it. And um, uh, that's unfortunate because there is something, there's a bigger place to be that I think people can find if they're willing to look for it. Hmm. Uh, so so much going through my head at this moment in the fact that I, I often talk about um, I talk about it from a peripheral vision perspective. So we're uh, channeled, manipulated, coerced to thinking a particular way, and for whatever reason, when we have a little bit of enlightenment, our peripheral vision just widens. And all of a sudden, we're able to see uh, different views and different things. And I think, actually, you know, if I think about um, the aspect of coaching, I mean, actually, that's probably, the, you know, one of the first steps because, you know, as coaches, um, whether it be one-on-one -on -one or whether it be facilitating mastermind groups or whether it be within kind of, uh, you know, an EOS session room, is that actually what we're, what we're helping people to do is to just uh, think about something differently, take their, uh, their mental models their assumptions and challenge those and just go, actually, what you're thinking, is that an assumption or is it actually a known fact? Oh, actually, I think it's an assumption. Okay, cool. Well, yeah. what, what's, so, what's a different view? 
Yeah, so it's what you've just said about the peripheral vision. We do have these blinders. The blinders are wide open when we're born. And slowly but surely, the blinders come in to where they're very narrow, very, very narrow. And what we do as coaches or EOS implementers or Vistage chairs is we ask our clients to widen those blinders back to a place where they're open again. Okay, It's not our job to tell them what's right or wrong. Correct. It's our job to just ask them to look at it in a different way. And if they do, they might find a different answer to the question. That may or may not fit them. If it doesn't fit them, they can go back and choose something else. Yeah. No. I, I so the blinder, blinder example is a perfect one. So uh, personally for you, is there is there one or two things that you do or best practices to keep your peripheral vision wider? Um, I think the first thing I do is I'm always conscious of my ego. I mean, let's be honest. We do all have egos. All right. We do have them. Okay. There's a good part of our ego and there is a destructive part of our ego. It's the destructive part of our ego that we have to be constantly aware of, be conscious of all the time. I think that is one of the tools that I use all the time. When I'm in a session with an EOS client, I'm constantly asking myself, are the questions I am asking from in, coming from the destructive part of my ego? Mm -hmm. Or are they truly coming from a place of what's in the best interest of my client? Uh, so that's one thing I do. I think the other thing I do is I'm always conscious of manipulation. We as coaches are great potential implement uh, um, uh, manipulators. We are great because we know how we know the human nature of people, and we can manipulate them in a, in a, a, a very uh, charismatic way. Uh, and so I've got to be conscious of that all the time, particularly with my personality. Because my personality is so much believed, okay? So I can say something and become a believer, a be, become believed very easily, right? Even if I don't, don't, even if I'm not coming with a believable answer, yeah. right? Yeah, yes, Marshall, um, you are the Messiah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So I've got to be careful about yeah. that. Um, I think the other part that I think uh, I'm always conscious of of, of is Going from complexity to simplicity, we are we as coaches or implementers better serve our clients when we are less complex and more simpler. We do it in a simple way. We convey the message in a simple way. Uh, as soon as we start making it complicated or as soon as we start ask, uh, adding theory rather than experience, I think that's when we get ourselves into trouble and we put ourselves in the place of being challenged and, and, and um, having to justify what we're trying to do. Uh, yeah. And I think there's something um, beautiful there about just life in general in the fact that actually we are, we, we often overcomplicate things, uh, you know, and actually life is actually very, very simple. You know, uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, Base, basic things, you know, keeping yep. ourselves warm, ensuring that we've got food uh, and, and having connection. You know, a actually, uh, why and how do we need much, much more? And, I, and I am, 
I'm often challenging uh, myself in uh, in saying to myself, why am I doing this? Am I doing this because I need it? Or am I doing it because I want it? Or am I doing it because actually I've been influenced uh, by external factors, whether that be uh, things that I've seen uh, or read or by other people? And, and for me, that's, that's a constant um, uh, counterbalance and, and check and measure is that, you know, uh, in that gap uh, and that pause between uh, taking um, something happening and responding, there's there's a very tiny gap. And actually, I think the, the biggest thing or one of the biggest things that I've learned over the years is to is to create that pause, to create that opportunity instead of reacting like I used to react, often quite physically. Um, I own my response. And do I want to go down that route of responding that way? Because is that actually going to give me uh, a, a different output? Um, yeah, I think I think complexity is an interesting discussion item because I think there are a couple reasons why human beings make things complex. Um, one of the reasons is because if it was simple, they'd have to take action. They'd have to make an they have to make a decision and take action. So rather than making a decision and taking action, let's just make it so complicated we don't have to do that. Um, I think another reason we make it complicated is is because it it shows us off. It gives us the ability to show our intelligence or our capabilities to someone else that we can get through this thing that's so complicated, right? Well, you know, no one cared. No one cares about that, right? So I think it's an interesting discussion, this whole concept of complexity and why people make things com- complex. Um, the other part of that I always love of complexity is the, is the reser- reverse side of it, and that is curiosity around the simplicity of something. You know, can we be curious as to why is it so simple? You know, it's so simple to take seven words and make it into a sentence that has such um, uh, complexity to it, even though it's very simple to put those seven words together. So uh, simplicity is a big part of uh, EOS. So this is a perfect opportunity. Um, How did you get into uh, being an EOS implementer? Um, Well, I left Vistage. I left Vistage because even though I was making a profound mark on owners, founders, uh, CEOs, presidents, the executives of the company, I realized, uh, in addition to a couple other things, I realized that where everything happened in a company was at the leadership level, the, the team that works for the leader, the owner of the company. And I started looking at other systems, operating systems, that were training venues for leadership teams. And after reviewing about six different um, systems, operating systems, um, I looked at EOS, and the reason why I selected EOS was real easy. It was simple. It was simple, basic tools that worked. It was a proven process that worked. Um, Gino Wickman, who created it 14, 15 years ago, you know, looked at businesses and said, how can we make it simple to operate a business? And he came up 
with these theories that although they were theories, they seemed to work in business. And so he said, let's try it out. And the more he tried it out, the more it proved to be correct. And so now EOS is built on a simple model and process that has purity attached to it that ultimately leads to the success of an operational business in terms of the execution by a leadership team. So um, there'll be people that are listening to this that will know and understand about EOS and there'll be people that will just be uh, learning from this. I just need to make uh, note that actually, you know, within the EOS uh, implementer community, so as an EOS implementer, you and I and about 600 others are helping companies implement EOS within to their organization. Um, you're actually uh, uh, royalty within the community uh, for having the highest uh, scores. So just for those people that are listening, um, ratings are actually a really important part uh, of, uh, of the EOS process uh, to ensure that we're constantly giving feedback, but also feed forward to uh, ensure that we're pushing the envelope and making sure that we're not only doing the right thing, but there's always areas for improvement. Uh, Mr. Marshall Krupp uh, uh, is number one for feedback ratings for his sessions. Um, I I know you, and I, it doesn't surprise me, but <laughs> but what what is it? What's the one or two things that you do within your sessions to ensure that you are absolutely pushing the envelope and making sure that you you personally are getting the high scores, but more importantly, for the organizations that you're working with? Yeah, so I, I think what it is, is I do not, I, I do not let my clients off, okay? I will not accept mediocrity. I, I only will accept excellence. Excellence on their part, and excellence on my part. Um, and so I know at the end of the meeting, I'm going to be rated on whether I'm excellent or I'm mediocre or I'm way down at the bottom of the list, right? Um, I get clear expectations defined at the early part of the meeting. So I know exactly what they want by the end of the meeting. And I give them what they want as long as it stays within the agenda and the tools and the teachings of what we offer. Um, I'm authentic. I'm real. Um, I, I don't show up with a facade. Um, I don't have um, a expectation other than to love what I do and give them everything I can give them. And they know it. They feel it. When they feel it, they rate me accordingly. When they don't feel it, I get rated lower and I feel the pressure of it, which keeps me on my toes. So, you know, if, if, if uh, regardless of the political systems we are involved in around the world, if political systems had this approach to serving their constituents, um, the ratings would be much difficult, difficult, different than they are today. <laughs> Amen, brother. Uh, wow. Can, <laughs> yeah, just uh, I just imagine so many organizations, uh, not necessarily running EOS, but running the EOS principles, how, think, how different things would be. Um, 
Thank, thank you for that. I'm gonna I'm gonna take that with me for the rest of the day. Um, Marshall, there'll be people that'll be listening to this that um, uh, they go, oh yeah, I've kind of heard EOS, but I'm not necessarily sure that it's for me. I'd love for you to just share uh, a couple of stories with some of the clients that you've worked with over the years as to as to the maybe one uh, successful organization, um, and then maybe one organization that EOS hasn't worked for. Well, uh, let me start with the latter first. Um, EOS doesn't work with organizations that, number one, don't make the commitment to the, the program. Two, do not maintain discipline around the commitment. Three, don't hold themselves accountable to the process. And four, who don't give themselves the opportunity to become masters in the tools of EOS. It then doesn't work. It it, it just, unfortunately, it doesn't work. You've got to put the time, the energy, and resources into the EOS model for it to work, okay? And so I can name dozens of companies where it hasn't worked. Uh, Self-implementing companies, many times, they start out really self-implementing well, but over two, three, four, five years, they go back to their old ways simply because they haven't made the commitment. They don't have the discipline. They don't stay focused. They don't hold themselves accountable. They don't do what they need to do. Now, uh, when you have an EOS implementer, you have a third party that's basically holding the company to this high level of commitment. And that's why an EOS implementer is so important. Important. Maybe that's the magic sauce of EOS. It's not the tools. It's not all of the. It's not the process. Maybe it's just the, the, the third party who can come in and be open, honest, transparent, and vulnerable and challenge the company. That's the magic sauce of what EOS is all about. Yeah. Because now, I, sorry, because I, I think actually that's a really that's really important. Um, if you look at some of the research they've done, and I don't want to make this too complicated. Let's keep it simple. But actually, as human nature, um, we find it easier. We'll, we'll let ourselves down because that's okay. But if we're accountable to somebody else, right, uh, yeah. and you and I both know this from the work that we've been doing over the years, uh, we don't want to let somebody else down. We'd, we'd, we'd rather let ourselves down than let somebody else down. So I think for me, I just want to reiterate because that is a really, really, really interesting point. And actually, that then serves – that you know, it's not necessarily about the financial, but that commitment to somebody external is massively important. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, now, in terms of successful companies, um, I think there's a couple areas in EOS that inherently creates success. Okay, it actually enhances success. It, it feeds success. Things like having the right people in the right seats, all right? If you don't have the right people in the right seats, you're wasting your time, you're wasting your money, you're wasting your efforts in your company because there will be challenges that are a result of not having the right people in the company or having the right people in the company not having the right seats. And you're going to constantly have issues and challenges and root causes around that. So right people, right seats is critical. Knowing what processes are critical to gain alignment of your organization. 
You know, we can have thousands of processes that go into a book and sit on a shelf, or we can have a dozen processes that we constantly are implementing over and over and over and over again that are generating the results that we want. We need to have everybody in alignment with that. I think another area that is very, very critical is have a clear understanding of the vision of the company. Most companies do not have a clear understanding of where they're going. Ten years, three years, one year, 90 days from now, next week, they don't have a clear understanding. Yes, they're going through the actions. I don't disagree. They are going through the actions. But are their actions in integrity with their vision of where they want to be? Next week, next 90 days, next year, next three years, next 10 years. So I think that's really uh, important to the EOS process, and that's what makes companies successful with EOS. And it doesn't matter whether you have a manufacturing company, a tech company, a retail store, a hospital, a governmental agency, a doctor's office, or a lawyer's office. It doesn't matter whether you're service or you're product related. If you have a company, there's basic tools that when implemented will attain success. It will happen by magic. I mean, it'll just happen. It's a magical process that just happens if you do it. Uh, so last couple of questions. Um, somebody listening to this, sitting on the fence, not sure if it's for me and, our, and my business, uh, what would you be recommending that they do? Uh, first thing is contact a EOS certified or professional implementer, number one. Schedule a complimentary 90-minute meeting between you and your leadership team and the implementer to understand what the model and process is. Uh, make sure that the implementer shares with you the guarantee that EOS offers because EOS is one of the few products and services in the world where there's a guarantee a guarantee associated with the value of EOS. Uh, very few organizations have this kind of guarantee. So ask for the guarantee. Um, and then ask yourself, what's not working in your company that you want to have working? All you have to do is identify two or three things that are not working. EOS will most likely generate a model and a process that will make them working. Awesome. So last question, Marshall. I'm, uh, I'm really, really interested in uh, hearing the answer to this. If there was a book of your life up to this point, what would the title be and why? Um, accountability you're doomed without it because and the reason and the reason why that is so critical is i is i think that if people understood how valuable accountability is and how it affects everything we do everything we do in our personal lives in our business lives in our interpersonal relationships with people um in how we see ourselves, how we see others, 
how we change as we move through life uh, and make different decisions. I can't think of anything more important to have in my consciousness all the time is the responsibility I have to hold myself accountable and to hold others accountable. Um, because with that, everything is possible. Everything is possible. Kia brother. Um, Marshall, thank you very much for uh, spending the time with me today. Uh, I, I, I remember the first time I met you. <laughs> it was just it was across it was across the table uh, at an American conference. Um, I think I definitely was eating bacon. I'm not really uh, that good a Jewish boy, <laughs> um, but uh, and then I had the the uh, wonderful honor of meeting your wife as well. And um, we've stayed we've stayed friends. And I appreciate the the nudge uh, for me in the process for uh, becoming an EOS implementer. Um, that was a that was a big thing for me, uh, so I, I appreciate that. And and actually, uh, for me, the EOS community uh, is a big part of why I'm involved. Um, I missed it when I left uh, left Vistage, uh, and I'm really looking forward to seeing you next uh, in February because I booked my flights only a couple of days ago. So I'm looking forward for a big uh, big man hug. The only disappointment for me is that it's outside of the NFL season, so I'm not going to get chance to, <laughs> to watch a game. I hope uh, you've enjoyed listening to the Elevate podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Adam Harris. Till next time, I'll see you soon. Bye for now. (laughs) 